Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Genesis 2. There is a girl under that. What importance is that? Would the shape of my liver or pancreas interest you? Perhaps. I hate surprises. I know why you ask that. Because all the people in your century were ruled by lust. I thought you were taking over my nurse's duties. Lyra R. always tucked me in. You are a scientist and yet you do not understand that lust destroyed your world. That is an interesting theory. It is a fact. Most of your world's problems were caused by aggression between male and female. Your own St. Freud warned you about... St. Sigmund Freud? A weakness which kept even your leaders from clear thought and wisdom. Thus, in the end, it was animal lust that caused your civilization to fall. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that is taking a mid-season break from Space Bub Beyond this week for our second failed Roddenberry pilot and TV movie. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan, and we have a special guest this week. We have uh, Mr. Kevin Lafferty here with us. Hello. I had a little intro I wrote for you here, which is uh, Kevin is producer extraordinaire, which is how you like being referred to, right? <laughs> that is, that's all my business cards. Um, I have, you're an official fleet ops officer in the 23rd century. That According is true. to Memory Alpha, you're an official <laughs> crew member. That's true. Um, and then I said, a proud user of Hollywood is calling. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yes. Um, and then I have a, a, couple, a couple of your credits I pulled, which are Codename Eternity. Yes. Uh, Harlequin's Recipe for Revenge. <laughs> yes. And... Jump in. Jump in. Exclamation point. Yeah. Exclamation yeah. mark. Yeah. And then also t- uh, I mentioned uh, that you were going to come on. I was just mentioning it to someone I was working with and I was accused of humble bragging because I knew you. Really? So your name is so important in this city wow. that just mentioning it, the person's like, oh, Kevin Lafferty. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, oh, Kevin. We're like, we just, we go way back. And it was, but yes, yeah, so your, your name is so powerful that either people are shocked and awed or they just fall to their knees in terror. Wow. I had no is. idea this was such a get. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real <laughs> the get. The podcast has really taken off. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, guys, I'm a huge fan, as I've told you before, Jordan, and great to meet you, Luke, uh, of the podcast. I've loved it since the first episode, and I'm thrilled to be here, especially to be able to discuss this show. It's you and the guy from Finland who keeps downloading. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to that guy in Finland or hey, girl. Yeah. Shout out to the person in Finland. Uh, so, Kevin... Are you a fan of sci-fi TV? Is this like a in your wheelhouse? This is totally in my wheelhouse. In fact, I'm kind of stunned to find that I had never seen this before. I've heard about it because I'm an old school Star Trek, particularly the original show uh, fan. And I knew that Roddenberry did a bunch of pilots that didn't go anywhere in the 70s. And I only, I've never seen Questor tapes. I heard your guys' episode on it. And that sounds like a ton of fun. And then I should watch it sometime. What was the year on Questor tapes? It, it was after that. It was like 77, yeah, right? Yeah, I, be- I believe this was the first... Of his failed because pilots. I mean we, obviously we're gonna get into this but part of the quality of this obviously the only copy I had was YouTube so the quality was not great on this but 
this made 1977 compared to Quest or 1977, it's like it's three decades earlier. Mm. Like this looks more like a 1960s, but not even that. It looks like it's from like like 1940s. I thought the quality was really low. I agree. Well, I think the this is the missing link between that sort of 60s Star Trek uh, look because he had some of the same people involved in Star right. Trek that, uh, involved in this and that sort of 70s sci-fi Logan's Run look. Like it's definitely the sweet spot in between those two things and it's not a really comfortable no, 1960s marriage. props, 1970 hair. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. transistor radios. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Very good explanation. Uh, so... You were aware of Genesis 2 before we watched it? As a title, no, I wasn't aware of any of the content. In fact, if you had asked me what I thought it was about, I, I thought it was about, uh, I knew it was dystopia, but I thought it was about people traveling through a landscape like a, like, a, like a bus full of people trying to find other survivors. I had no idea that it was. Oh, wow. I thought it was, for some reason in my head, I thought the show was about a newly terraformed planet or something uh, that people were starting to live on. But I, I think I just, thought that i think i got this confused with the search for spock right, right but to be fair genesis 2 is a bad title it is it's a because it, it's not really well it's evocative of one thing which is obviously genesis and the origins of life and or the beginning of time but that's not what this is about okay it kind of is but it, it should, this could be called like frozen man yeah that's, that's a big question i had i was like why is the show called genesis 2 but i guess that's why that's what it is he wakes up and it's a new world but it's like that's a long way to go to yeah, explain this like did he have to roddenberry had to explain it and and it feels like a sequel title too it's like yeah i miss genesis am i going to understand genesis 2 okay. that's yeah. true that's yeah. true what happened to genesis i think it was mentioned this came out march 23rd 1973 mm-hmm what was everyone up to in March of 1973? Kevin? <laughs> well, I was definitely watching Star Trek, and it's uh, I, I would be of the age where I would have seen Star Trek in its first big uh, syndication major success in the early 70s. So I would have been seven years old then, so I definitely would have been drawing pictures of the Enterprise uh, right, right. On, on my school books and whatnot. But this Roddenberry one passed you by. Completely passed me by. Never. I, again, having done some research before coming here... I never saw any of his 70s stuff. I never saw Questor tapes. I never saw Spectre, which I guess is some sort of ghost investigation pilot he did. Uh, I, we, I, we were just talking about Questor before you, uh, not Questor, Spectre, Spectre before you came in because we had been looking at some stuff. But I have to say, he got a, a lot of kicks at the bucket. Star he Trek really gave him did. they gave him way more shots than most people would get. Totally agree, because we'll talk about it, I'm sure, about the second attempt at this show. But just mm. the fact that this was attempted three times in a row Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Nuts, right? And it's not like, as we'll dig into the ideas, it's not like it, there's such a great idea no. at the core of this thing. No, it's not <laughs> like someone's going to break well, it. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, we can start talking about it now, maybe a little bit of the history, and Luke, hopefully I'm not cutting you off. Well, let, but... me, uh, let me do one last thing, and then we can get into this history. I actually wanted to give us some historical context for what was happening. Oh, okay, go as ahead. As I tend to do mm -hmm. when this show uh, was broadcast originally. So this is March 1973. Uh, what happened in that sort of month-long period was Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon came out. Mm -hmm. And stayed on the charts till like the mid-80s. The Young and the Restless debuted on CBS. Wow. Oh, really? So that was picked up and this wasn't by CBS. <laughs> right. Well, different time slots. I guess so. And the 45th Academy Awards happened. Who is named Best Picture, Jordan? 1973? Yep. Hold on. I know Godfather was 1972. 73 would have been i'm gonna guess the sting was that named best picture you do this every time it was the godfather oh it was the year off i was the year off <laughs> you're yeah, always yeah, one yeah. year off well i know well, it makes sense because it came out in 72 so that's what it was so one in 73 i have a pretty good knowledge of who won 
what Academy Award, what year. Better than I would actually even think I do. You really do. Yeah. Uh, you got it almost every single time. Seven, and, then, and the year uh, after that was Godfather 2. This is probably only the second time we did it. Yeah, but that's pretty good. <laughs> two for two. Two for two. Well, we were doing bets in the office uh, on Friday about how many muffins people would eat in the conference room. And I was way off. <laughs> so that's, that's not a strength. <laughs> All right. Do you want to get in the episode or do you want to do your little history lesson first? Well, it's not even so much a history lesson. I just think it's kind of interesting to talk about what was kind of happening. Because so, I mean, Roddenberry, obviously, you, ha- you have to give him credit for Star Trek. For whatever happens, he came up with the original idea for Star Trek, that an idea that is still making TV shows and is still making money for people. And people Absolutely. still love dressing up at it. Now, he didn't, I don't think, he didn't create all the really great ideas maybe that people loved about it, that, you know, obviously it broadened out, but you can't take away that from him. And I think because Star Trek captured such a cultural zeitgeist, he had such a chance to do so many shows, but what he kind of made were weird philosophical ideas that maybe aren't really TV shows. Like, Quester was more of a TV show than this was. And I mean, the weird thing about this show was, it aired and actually did well, apparently. Mm-hmm. Did well, well enough that they said, yes, we'll make more. And I won't read them all, but I wrote down the episodes. But he wrote one, two, three, four, five. There's at least six episodes that had been decided. And so I think you, you probably already read it that what they decided to go with was the Planet of the Apes TV show. Yeah, that was which I do remember there. watching. Do you you ever watch it? I didn't. Yes. I didn't know they made one. Yeah, it was terrible. I can't wait to watch. How many? It. How many? Do you know how long it was? I'm assuming it got canceled I, I think right they away. Made a whole season actually. I think yeah. they. I think they got to air with like 22 or something. I think they're all on DVD now. You can. Every episode them. ends with them finding another another right, another, another Statue of Liberty. Yeah. But the other weird thing is that Roddy McDowell is in the show, but not playing the same character he played. In really? The movies. Yeah. Even though he and he played more than one character in the movies, but. It's a very strange thing that he was this sort of talisman that you had to have Roddy McDowell in your Planet of the Apes to put him in the makeup and give him a new name. He just gets older and older. Each time (laughs) they try it, he's playing someone else. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, that was what's weird about it was that this show, we could say it from the beginning, it's not a very good TV show or a very good TV movie, but it did well enough that they said, yes, we might want to make it. And then, okay, for whatever reason, they decided it wasn't going to be a series. They tried it again and tried making it in, what do they call it? Planet Earth. And then tried it again without Roddenberry and just changed a bunch of things so that they could do the show without him. Like they changed the character name. What was, and what's the character's name in this? This He's Dylan Hunt. Dylan is, Hunt. Yeah. And and that, that name, uh, again, sounds like a dirty joke. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't quite get it. And I, I, you notice that the other characters constantly refer to him as Dylan Hunt. They don't call him Dylan or Hunt. They call him yeah, Dylan Hunt constantly. And that name has some sort of meaning in the Roddenberry verse beyond this, because I guess when Robert Hewitt Wolf was putting together Andromeda, which I don't know the history of it, but from the little I read, it seems like to make it legitimately Roddenberry, even though he was dead by that point, they sort of ransacked his files and grabbed ideas and names. And which so- is such a weird thing to do, right? Because when Andromeda came out, didn't they say like Gene Roddenberry's? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Was that even one of his ideas? Or I don't they just think went, it was. Let's, uh, oh, he once had a uh, alien with a funny head, right? Yeah, exactly. Like that was about right? it? Exactly. And he liked the name Dylan Hunt. He did two different pilots with characters named Dylan Hunt. So let's name Kevin Sorbo Dylan Hunt. I mean, Ooh. that's what I'm going to do when you die, Jordan. I'm going <laughs> to dig through your files and just uh, make some sort of Frankenstein. Please, please don't dig through the files. <laughs> All right. Do you guys want to get started? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's the summary for Genesis 2. This is going to be interesting. A scientist... <laughs> who has been preserved in suspended animation, wakes up to find himself in a primitive society in the future. That IMDb synopsis or summary is courtesy of Brian VN at earthlink.net. Ooh, that's an old one. Yeah, <laughs> Earthlink um, boy, GeoCities. <laughs> jumping right into it, what, they mentioned, I know I missed it, but 
what is Dylan Hunt's actual job at the beginning of the movie? What what is what he kind of scientist is he? He works for NASA. He's a rocket scientist, and he developed not whatever, a rocket scientist. Whatever the cryo sleep thing is, he yeah. developed it because he says. Um, when it came time to test it, I thought I should test it on myself. Yeah, he's actually, I said that way more with way more passion than he ever would have well, said. He would have said it's slower. And but more you know, it's like funny you mentioned that. Is this part of his? It opens with narration, yeah. right? And painful narration. It's, painful. This it introduces this story of Dylan Hunt and his fantastic mustache, <laughs> which begins with a V over that says. The story begins on the day I died. Yeah. Which is not accurate. He doesn't die. Yeah, no, he doesn't die at all. I know. Because I, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he didn't die. This is just, be, that would be a good, good opening for Riverworld. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> that's it was true. better for Riverworld, yeah. But his narration is unbelievably boring. And, and, it, and it's Harrison Ford Blade Runner-esque. Totally. And then, but then when he actually starts to talk to other characters, you realize, oh, he's going to keep doing that? Like, that's the way. That, like that's he, his, that's his like, character. NASA's underground caverns at Carlsbad. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. It really is uh, unbelievably tedious. Like, they're like, they're listening to the audio booth. They're like, yeah, okay, we'll take that one. That's a good one. <laughs> you have to wait so long for him to appear to be interested in anything in this show. Like, uh, maybe it's the problem of your character that wakes up in the, dystopic future like he's just going to be amazed and have exposition ladled to him constantly but but boy man until he starts to become sort of action man in the last mm-hmm. third when he wants to take control of the situation up to that point he's just he's just a mustache yeah that's he all is, he is it is it is some mustache though huh oh it's a great mustache well here's the thing about the mustache did you realize the future people they recognize that he was just a mustache because when they wake him up he has all that beard and they decide to shave everything with the mustache looking at that beard growth they don't think he should have a goatee yeah no i know they they think he clearly is a man with a mustache. what i thought was as i love with most science fiction shows in the future mustaches i think were just popular again 155 years later (laughs) like we got to do a mustache came around just came came back around around. exactly yeah and it's such a trimmed mustache when you first see it in a (laughs) close-up i thought that's a fake mustache they should have had a shot where it's like the little little scissors just completely so perfectly maintained in its little two triangle (laughs) shape it's uh it's kind of unbelievable oh and i i made one note which was um charles bronson should be cast in the lead yes wouldn't that have been wouldn't that be a better movie at least he would have had a glowering intensity rather than a bored uh wandering around (laughs) i was frozen all right (laughs) That's my Charles Bronson. But as you mentioned, Kevin, yeah, he's leading this suspended animation project that they're hoping will be used in space travel. They're doing it in the Carlsbad's caverns, which NASA has a home in. Don't they say it's a a pressure pressure chamber? Is that what they call it? They have to do it in a pressure chamber. And I guess for one day of aging, he'll sleep for 10 years in this sort of suspended animation. Did you get how it worked they kind of glean over this but they're they seem to have figured out how to make suspended animation work but they need to like activate a certain part of the brain to bring people out yes and there was a strange roddenberry-esque mention of sex drive that was in that same sentence what what, what was it it was something but we finally learned how to control the sleep cycles and it had to do with the relationship between the desire to survive and sex drive it was like oh gene what was in the first draft of this where were you going with that it was a very one of those things where like the author unintentionally shows a little bit of themselves it was like yes. what was a strange new world who wrote that oh uh, robert heinlein uh, yeah yeah it's that sort of thing right of yeah. like and why are they now having an orgy yeah. and like the perfect world has orgies oh it's like oh i i see oh, I your see perfect world that's what i thought that's exactly what it is like he says the reproduction right. drive and there is even a line as they're putting him in his co-worker is like all right we'll wake you up tomorrow i'll have a girl waiting to revive you Instead of the chemicals, 
And uh, Dylan's like, I don't think NASA's ready for that method yet. Like, this show yeah. is so horny. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it's, yeah. it's funny, though, because we'll, we'll save for the end, obviously, the last line in the show. But, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, but exactly. the, whole, the whole show has just, like, it's what the audience has to understand is he's a man. <laughs> He has man needs, yeah. and they're gonna get done. Like he's just like he's just that classic seventies guy. He's like women like me. Do you see my mustache? And it's just yeah. like okay, the women like him, and he yeah. just and he can't not mention it. It's true. There's an earthquake, which is why he gets trapped for 154 years and wakes up in the future. It's a pretty amazing sequence where you see out the little window, the peekaboo window, to where the technicians are operating their controls, yeah. and you see like rocks falling behind them, and like it really is like the throwing the foam rocks at them. Earthquake! Earthquake! Get out! And I should mention that, but even in the present time, it takes place in the future. It's 1979. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So it's five years in the future. Five years in the future. Because yeah. I guess they have to justify this. Why, why there's been time to build this underground railway that connects all yeah, of the, the audience world. would never be able to believe it happened in 1973. <laughs> it's like, right. like the, well, the, no way. 1979, maybe, maybe we'll be able to have a tunnel that goes. You're wherever. exactly right. Because we're supposed to assume it's five years in the future from when it's airing. They've built some sort of sub shuttle that like travels the world underground because there was a war that made it dangerous to travel on the surface. And they talk about a Chinese alliance. Like there seems mm-hmm. to have been a war between 73 and 79. Yes. And and the there's that really awkward exposition moment when he's in that kind of cool shuttle set, that sub, subterranean mm-hmm. subway set, which I thought was kind of underused. It was a neat little kind of curved ceiling set. And he's talking to some soldier dude. And the soldier dude has some really awkward line about how... I guess humanity's finally growing up. Yeah. And it's like, I, oh, I literally, you I literally wrote that fool. down. There's going to be a World War III that's going to actually bury Carlsbad Caverns for hundreds of years. Uh, On part of my reading, I read that that building that little shuttle, that actual yeah. thing, uh, blew a big chunk of the budget and was a reason why a lot of it, other, other parts didn't look so good because oh, they just really? spent, they spent all their money on that part because that was going to be the selling part with this tube tunnel thing it is kind of front loaded with cool sets like the first few minutes i thought this is gonna be pretty good except there is the awkward moment where you see carlsbad caverns and this is a typical tv problem of that era where the walls look pretty good like it's not bad for like fiberglass i thought the cave looks okay but if you notice where the walls meet the super shiny floor like they're just resting on the floor it's like it it kind of doesn't really sell but you know not bad like when you see carlsbad caverns and you see the cool super train and it's later when you get to the university or wherever it was that they shot those exteriors at where it's yeah. clearly some great public building that they just found and they go this is the production design now is just yeah. a building we found a lot of a lot of the production value was front loaded that's for sure so they're in the future he is rediscovered by a group called pax who's living in these caves and i, I they're able to revive him somehow for they're, reasons they, they i guess they have a manual they find yeah but I, I do like when they find him, they they say he must have been a real handsome man when he was, uh, when he was alive. And I'm like, well, right he's away. not dead. Yeah. Right away, we're going to put that on the table. Yeah, like, yeah. That's good. What is he? Gorgeous. <laughs> Very handsome. <laughs> they pair him with a woman named Lyra. Or Lyra Ah? Or Lyra A? Like, I thought, <laughs> I, I was a little taken aback by, I had to listen a couple of times. Different characters definitely said it different ways. And I thought, okay, you're Gene. You're sitting in your, your apartment or your home typing, and you deliberately come up with a name that's hard to pronounce? Like, I can't even, I couldn't even imagine at first how it was supposed to be spelled. I actually went online to see, and I guess it's supposed to be like the last name, so some characters are just letters? Yeah. At, at least that's what it, anyway. It's, it's hard to tell. I know, when I looked up to him, I'm like, Laura Ah? <laughs> Laura, <laughs> Laura, and and he wakes up in twenty one thirty three, right? Yes. So yes. he's been it's one hundred and fifty four years yes. is how long he's been sleeping. But and I guess we can mention it when when he uh, I, I maybe I should take <laughs> take this out when he wakes up 
and he's and he for I don't know. It, it seems like three hours he's doing his weird mumbling thing. Yeah. So God, it goes on and on and on. Didn't it seem a little bit like Kirk Douglas doing a speech? <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? It was a little bit, wasn't it? Sure. Yeah. 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 You're not wrong. No, no one else no, is going to jump no on that. No one's going to commit <laughs> no, to that no. on, on tape. I mean, I mean, just to be clear, I mean an old Kirk Douglas. I don't <laughs> That's mean right. young. You're not talking I don't about Spartacus. No, no, no. You're talking about the Academy Awards last yeah, year. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he mumbles a lot because they don't know that to wake him up. He like, they bring this up. It's like, he needs to have his brain excited in quotes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And oh, they, if only they could figure it out. <laughs> they keep implying like even Lyra who gets paired with him is just like, I had to care for you. Yeah. And then at some point they drop a line where she's like, Oh yeah, I synthesized the chemical. I didn't like touch you, but it, they really imply. And well, and did you notice the weird thing too? If they, they, they're totally flabbergasted at the notion that he's asking for an injection of something. Oh yeah, right? they're like yeah, into in the his body. But then later they go, "Oh, this is how we control people. We shoot these darts into them." And then he looks at the dart and he goes, "No, oh, a little hypodermic." I'm like, dudes, do you understand injections or do you not understand injections? It is very confusing. They have technology, but they're also primitive. It's yes. hard to yeah. nail down. Well, yeah. it's it's clearly uh, it's Roddenberry's utopia. It's like we still have all the technology, but we've all decided to wear togas still. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot yeah. easier for those orgies when you only have a toga. <laughs> but but when he when he uh, what's the Dylan Hunt his main character? He has this like weird. Um, they've done like the the makeup to show he's still kind of frozen, and you know he's like boo 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 boo. And but doesn't he just look like a Billy Van character? <laughs> doesn't he yeah as, as, a little, as a little joke those hilarious of frankenstein fans but that's what he looks like yeah once he's kind of brought back around to life lyra sort of takes him on a tour and kind of explains what pax is which i guess they're the descendants of nasa employees who lived in the caves is am i understanding that correctly i guess i mean it's immediately confusing because you know right away that what she's telling him is a lie yeah and like he he doesn't see it at all because he's too busy going whatever many belly buttons she has yeah exactly exactly <laughs> check that out yeah the fact that she so quickly goes uh, i'm a mutant yeah i love that she just goes by the way i'm a mutant by the way, I'm a mutant and here let me take my uh my my gown off to display my double belly buttons which was a pretty good prosthetic effect as if you have to do two belly buttons it looked pretty and did, i'm sure if everyone in the room here saw a million times why he had the double belly button because it was Roddenberry was irritated that in Star Trek he wasn't allowed to show a belly button, so he's like, "I'll show you two belly buttons." Two but, belly buttons. But in the show, they explain it to they have a two hearts, two hearts for whatever reason. Two the, belly buttons. Yeah, oh, two that belly makes buttons. You smarter or better? I know. Or that's stronger. why I was like, I was like, I don't think when you were born having two umbilical cords would have made any, like, yeah. like, oh, the baby was extra fill filled up like i don't know how do babies work how do babies work what do they do anyway well before we move off of that though let's talk about lyra ah for a second just because i was immediately confused by her first of all because it's marriott hartley's playing her and marriott hartley was an actress of some sort of tv star kind of recurring characters on different shows kind of known and i've always thought she was great i have lots of memories of marriott hartley being great in shows but you would not know it from the way she acts in this show like she she did a a couple parts in star trek too didn't she yeah she was she was she was a, a bikini clad cave right. girl in that one episode she a, anyway she in this at first i thought oh she is she the roddenberry emotionless character is she the data slash vulcan slash whatever and then you find out no i guess it's because she's being duplicitous but her, again her duplicity is kind of revealed way too like you know right away she's she, very suspicious she's telling him that a place called pax which we all know means peace mm-hmm. is a bunch of evil bastards even though there's no evidence of anybody doing anything wrong at all i know she comes well one they've shaved him quite nicely <laughs> they've given him a little they've given him a little one piece outfit as you very do in nice. the future yeah everyone seems very nice there's the the main guy what is it called primus 
Yeah, yes. The security council people. He, I, when his credit came up at the beginning, it made me laugh out loud. It was like, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? Percy Rodriguez says Primus, whatever. Yeah. It was like one of those great nonsensical title cards. He's but also a Star Trek veteran. He is he? I, did, I didn't know. There was a couple there. Obviously, there's some people later on. Lurch shows up. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple people where I couldn't tell, and it'd be more, and you'd be better at this, but I didn't know if these were people that were often on TV at that time, but I didn't really recognize almost anyone. Uh, what's your name? Leroy did, and then yeah. obviously Lurch shows up. But like, oh, musto, mustache. What's his face? I didn't know who he was. There was a bunch of strange casting choices made, again, in the PAX world where you see this Primus Council. Well, Majel Baird is there, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Again, again, reminding me that not much of an actress, but I don't think you're supposed to say that because I think she's supposed to be revered as being the voice of the computer and everything, but really pretty flat. But then also, like, why have Zorba the Greek playing one of the Primus guys? Like, That, that- was a great question. I was like... Why does this one guy have an accent? Yeah, it's 150 years of the future. Yeah. They've all grown out of the same colony under Carlsbad Caverns, but one guy sounds like, <laughs> yeah, a, a, like a, like a really Greek dude. He just got here on the sub shuttle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I guess that's it. He came over from Greece. But uh, it's interesting you're saying uh, Pax means peace, and Lyra uh, is trying to like kind of tell him a tale that's maybe not accurate. She's sort of saying they've looted all the museums, so that's why yeah. I have all the art and. They're kind of going through like why they might be evil. Like she's like, they won't give technology to the rest of us, which is sort of true. They are they are kind of hoarding technology. And then she sort of gets taken off Dylan duty because they're a little sketchy about her. They don't know that they can trust her. And because they know she's from Terrania, but they say, yeah, but she's been a good person since she came here and people came here from all kinds of other places. So we don't. Disurge. Although they do then take a moment to talk about how she's a filthy half mutant, and yeah. mutants are, uh, are are like this. This is the contrary to the usual Roddenberry. They're, like, they're all they're all putting oh, sanitizer on their hands after yeah, touching. Exactly. You're like, oh, dirty mutant. Like, yeah, you can't you can't trust those mutants. They they practice deceit as a virtue or something like that. They yeah. say. Yeah. So, but again, it's that Roddenberry half breed thing too, right? Where it's like, yeah, but she's only half mutant, which I kind of that to hurt my head to think about. What does it mean to be half mutant if you have two belly buttons? This is what I think, going back to what you're saying about whether she's an emotionless character, Mm. I think later we'll see the mutants, well, they maybe don't act this way. There's some indication that they don't believe or they don't practice love or human virtues. Right. So I think her being a half-breed is, that's why we, she's kind of robotic, but also, she's basically a Spock, like she has some emotions, but she doesn't want to have them. Right. Did they ever explain where the mutants came from? Did I miss that? Uh, Just from the war, the nuclear war. Yeah. Oh, so they just like, a nuclear bomb and they got, and they were like, how many belly buttons do we have? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. I think the people in PAX were in the cavern, so they're the only like pure blood humans left. Right. Okay. But again, I guess that's like a, if you imagine it a series every week, they're going to go meet some other group of strange people. Well, they mention, and they do mention women women group out somewhere. Like there was like, yeah, there was like, another uncomfortable Roddenberry yeah. they, moment where they say, oh, you'd like to meet the uh, the people from women's world because they yeah. treat men like pets or yeah. words to that effect. And yeah. yeah, there's a lot of uh, bathing over <laughs> over in that world. Like, oh, can you believe they're all just bathing out in the open? <laughs> there's all women's society and there's one man. Yeah, they, they imply yeah. I, there's like scholars from the Carolinians. Like there's right. like, yeah pockets of the states have changed it's this world that no one really is that invested in but he's right. like oh, we'll, we'll explain it this world's very complex and we have subway trains that go to all these places yeah, yeah. we'll get to it <laughs> we'll get we to won't. It. <laughs> dylan does start to lose face in packs maybe not because of what lyra tells her but when they swap lyra out lyra uh, i don't know how to say this all episode um they give him a new nurse harper Smythe. Who's kind of like dressed very asexually and 
he just starts going super lusty yeah. and try to go after her. And she kind of explains to him, it's like, oh, we don't, we believe lust is evil. That's what destroyed the world. Yeah, I didn't quite connect the lust with the atomic bomb thing, but okay, I'll go with Harper Smudge's theory yeah. on this. Yeah, and that seems to be really what turns Dylan off. So when Lyra shows up to rescue him, he's like, yeah, I'm not staying here. They don't love my lusty ways. <laughs> yeah, I know that that was his turn, wasn't it? It was yeah. just like... You know what? I don't think my 1970s swinging ways are really going to fit with this society. So you know what? Double navel. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Totally. Well, she stripped down the second he woke up. So, which was so ridiculous. But she's wearing one of those great Star Trek costumes because yeah. it's the same uh, costume designer, Bill Thies or Thies, however you pronounce it, who did the original show. And he was a specialist at doing peekaboo panels and things that you're not They're obviously taped into place because it looks like the costume is going to fall off at any moment. And yeah, that's clearly Marriott Hartley was... Absolutely. There's, there's going to come a moment, a couple of moments in the show where you just have to drop a gown and show us your weird undergarments. Yeah, it's it's very true. Did you uh, did you catch one of their saints, Pax's saints in the future that teach them against lust? No, no. What was it? Saint Sigmund Freud. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. Oh, yeah, that's. Yeah, right. And Dylan Hunt gets to raise his eyebrow with that. Saint Freud. Yeah, yeah. I know. I didn't. I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I didn't know what me as the viewer was supposed to get about that was like that's ridiculous freud or was it like i didn't know what i agree you didn't know what are we making fun of them that's for saying they, yeah. they worship freud or are we saying that that's a smart thing that they yeah because his response was like hmm. i was like i don't know what you're saying like yeah. are we making fun of this or what yeah I, I do think the idea is it is really the turn that convinces him uh, maybe this isn't the place for me because he when lyra shows up that night to rescue him he leaves with her and he's gonna go visit her because she's a Turanian mm-hmm. and they're going to go to her so home painful. city of Turania. Yeah. And he's going to see how the free people of the world live. What's interesting though, too, is they sneak out through the sub. They like pop out with this. Where do they pop out? They're in Arizona. Yeah. And there's like people who are raising horses for the Turanians. Yeah. This You mean when they're inside the soundstage and yeah. it's like the yeah. little green set and then they cut to stock shots. It's like if you have to resort to your interior exterior set don't cut to stock shots because then it really looks fake it's like look over there and that's when he says where have all the roads gone or whatever yeah. and that's when he realizes the world has been destroyed or but that's it they get horses and they yeah. kind of are going to ride there earth looks great i totally agree i was thinking mm. where's the desolate landscape where's the omega man situation because this looks pretty yeah, nice fine yeah. it it reminded me of like Disney movies with Davy Crockett and the American Frontier. <laughs> it was probably so, so, the same place. So why why were PAX underground? Well, I thought the, it was implied that not that maybe the, the world was really irradiated on a bunch of places and stuff. But like when they go up, I'm like, guys, you should just go out because well, like totally, cause actually, looks- I'm I'm actually mistaken when I said it was the, where there was the interior scene. That was earlier when they go mm-hmm. outside and she and she points out there's guys with binoculars everywhere as if they're about to be attacked. Um, they they they're keep they keep vigil watch. all the time. So. Maybe that's something they would have explained later about w- right. what's the constant danger to them. I mean, other than Terrania, which seems like it's a danger. But did you get a sense of where Terrania was? How far were they going? They, well, it's hard to tell because th- those things are so great Car- to travel with, the, those yeah. tubes. That- <laughs> where are the Carlsbad's camera- Carl caverns? I don't know. California? No, it's somewhere in the Midwest. I want to maybe Arizona? Because it seems like they get out still in Arizona. If it's still in yeah. Arizona, they stay in Arizona. No, which I think means- it's New Mexico. New I think Mexico. Carlsbad's New Mexico. I think Terrania is probably Arizona. That's the implication. Right. right. So, so it's not that far. It's not like they're going around the world. Yeah. No, they're they're relatively, they're definitely a neighbor, I think. And this is probably giving the show too much credit, but I must say when I first heard the name Terrania in the show, I didn't think it was one of those stupid names that gives away that the people are evil, like the Decepticons or Sinestro right. or whatever. I thought it was terrain, like as in 
Earth, like Terra. Right, so right. when it was later revealed to be spelled with a Y, I was like, oh, yeah. I get it. The, they're tyrants. Yeah, they're tyrants. Now I get it. So he chose the tyrants over the peaceful people because he believed the pretty girl with two navels when she told him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've all been there, though. <laughs> I did like when they rode up. Uh, you sort of see Terranian in the distance. Yes, and yes. It's a beautiful matte painting of yeah. like yeah, a yeah. great I, city. I actually, I really like that in yeah. science fiction. So I, I like that look, and I wish it was still there. Star Trek: Next Generation still did it a lot. Yeah, and I, I think it still works effective. I like seeing that plant, and you know, the little ship flies in front of it. So I was like, yes, I. You can see it right away, but I like the look of it. It reminds you of like old um, covers to like kind of bad science fiction books and Completely, stuff that's what yeah. kind of reminded me of. No, I, I it's like very that evocative and and it gave you a better um, it made terrania immediately look interesting in a way yeah. that it really doesn't once you get there but that distant shot of it looked really cool well you do it, get a lot of a uh, man thigh in terrania yeah we got to talk about what they're wearing in terrania <laughs> uh, this is true the terranians are all dressed in capes and leather thongs like the zardoz yeah kind of that's thing right where it's like we're going to show off our hairy man thighs and 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 really weirdly high cut like French bathing, ladies' yeah. bathing suits of the 1980s. Like, yeah, very capes. strange. I mean, maybe there's something to be said for the fact that since the, the dudes are dressed that way, it's it's an equal opportunity sexism thing. I don't know. Well, he, it, he does sort of have that. He's sort of kind of sexist towards everyone. Like, it's an equal opportunity that right. Roddenberry... And, and he, you're right, because there's... You could argue that he's as... There's as much, uh, you know, ogling of men as there is in women in this show. Everyone sort of gets the short end of the wardrobe here. <laughs> The short end of the stim. Is that what you were going to say? Oh, man. (laughs) Well done. Bravo. That'll make a lot more sense to listen to it in a little bit. It's very good, though. As you mentioned earlier, when we get to Terrania, it is like a university campus. Yeah, or a library. I didn't look up where it actually was, but it's some sort of public building of the 1970s, that very specific kind of architecture. It feels kind of like a Roman society or something. A lot of togas. A lot lot of togas. People have slaves, and they're like, they're not slaves, they're helpers. Mm. But let me just say, I think, if not 100% of them, in high 90s in percentage, for some reason, the slave helper people, they're all wearing wigs. Now, not not everyone who is the... uh, Terranium, the general people, they're not all wearing wigs. Like some of them just have bad wigs, some of them have mm-hmm. 70s hair. But every single of the slave people had wigs. I don't know why. Yeah, I agree. Weird. It was distracting. When you when you went yeah. to the caves or wherever the underground where you saw the whole slave community living their terrible lives, there were some outrageous fright wigs there. That's what I mean. It was like it was like there was a lice outbreak and they're like, quick, just get all the wigs we can. It was really weird. <laughs> that, yeah, right. It's it was very strange. Initially, Dylan's kind of like the the helpers tell Dylan like oh it's cool I was like starving outside I'm happy to be here being treated like a pet he's like given like three scantily clad women they like he literally feed him feed him grapes yeah. and stuff yeah they give it the worst haircut they're like he's like give me a haircut they like give him a bowl cut it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's very weird but what we kind of learn is uh Lyra goes to meet with her high council of Terrania and yeah. They have their own nuclear plant, much like Pax does, but theirs just isn't functioning properly. So they have a lot of, I guess, brownouts. Yeah, the lights flicker every once in a while. That damn nuclear power plant. And they're basically hoping they can manipulate his stupid human emotions in order to get him to kind of fix their nuclear plant and kind of get their society back up and running. So Lyra was just this agent in Pax who saw an opportunity and now they've brought him back and... They really only want him to fix their power problem. But they never explained. Again, I could I could miss I could missed it. But just because he worked for NASA or what did he work for? How, how does he know how to suddenly fix a nuclear reactor? Those are I'm assuming not being an expert in either wildly different jobs. I would think I think there's just a general vibe in this that if he's from the past, therefore he could fix past things. I mean, later he can turn a a, a really cheesy '60s 
uh, transistor radio into, right. a, into a tracking sensor device. tracking device. But I mean, if thing. I was now frozen and they wake me up 200 years and they're like, hey, we have this this old, uh, can you help us with the fuses from the this old thing? I'd be like, no. I, can you fix I'm, I'm, like, I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm sorry. I was one of the humans that can't do any of those things. <laughs> did, did, did you want me to explain some Batman comic line, storylines? Because I could do that for you. Maybe in the future that will be very helpful. Maybe you never know. And maybe you guys can explain this to me. Dylan kind of has these slaves, Lyra's off talking to the high council, and that night he like decides to sneak around. I could I didn't know his motivation. Yeah, there was a moment there where I was not entirely clear about why he was doing what he was doing. It was sort of like he went there thinking, Oh, this is the good place to go. And then he goes there and he's delivered his helper women three at a time but he seems to be suspicious yeah it's because this show has a little bit of a problem and it happens a few times that they need they they make a few too many turns Mm -hmm. and they don't earn them so it happens a few times where it's like he turns on Pax. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then he turns on Terrania. Why? Mm-hmm. Right. And then it looks like, and then it's like, oh, he's, he might turn again. And I know what they're going for. They're going for that. You don't know where things are. But what it comes across more is just that it didn't quite work. That it yeah. just, you, that's all of us were kind of like, why? It's just confused. Yeah. So that's what you end up with. Well, again, he you know he has no powerful motivation for anything in this. He's just wandering around almost all the time. And, and uh, coupling that with the actor's sort of bored. Yeah, demeanor. Like, and if you, I, I haven't seen the sequel or remake thing, the Planet Earth one with John Saxon. But everything I read about it said that John Saxon plays it more like William Shatner would have. That he's like, he's a, you know, an agent of change, and that he's there to get things done. And you can imagine it with a guy like that in this lead, it would have been way more interesting. If right. He, if he was really engaged in discovering what these places were, other than passively going, oh, they got Rembrandt paintings. Oh, that's something. What What I like though is I don't know if it's it's here, but later on they give him like a fur cape. Yes. And he clearly has difficulties with it all the time. Like there's parts where he's going, he's just like, oh, this cape, and, I was, and I, I'm watching him like. Just take the cape off it. The, the actor is having real problems with this wardrobe. Just take it off. That's very funny. I think he's in this cape now because he kind of wanders around at night and yeah. kind of is snooping, but I, I'm not sure on what. But this is where he ends up meeting. There's actually a bunch of pack spies who are amongst the helpers who are trying to like seed a slave rebellion. One of them, of course, was teased earlier is Lurch from the Adams family. Mm-hmm. Wearing a really bad wig, of course. Yeah, really insane wig. And like and he who, had a good head of hair. <laughs> totally. And, and uh, but, you know, always an interesting actor, right? I like Ted Cassidy. He's mm-hmm. always fun when he turns up. You know, that great moment in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's right. Oh, scene. yeah, yeah. Great and, moment. And weirdly enough, although I've always thought this was apocryphal, supposedly the original Incredible Hulk from the Lou Ferrigno version. I've supposedly never heard that. They oh. shot... The days with him in the green makeup before they realized they needed a guy who was not so much tall as bulky. And but I've never seen a picture of how it. hilarious would it be to see because he had a, obviously a very particular body frame, just yeah. very tall and lanky. Yeah. He has as Incredible Hulk. That's funny. They yeah. should have kept that. Never seen it. But anyway, he's you know as soon as he shows up, he's immediately more interesting, I think, mm-hmm. than, than our lead guy. But but again, there's still some strange Roddenberry things. And when they refer to him as being a white Comanche, a little yeah, bit, I was yeah. like, what? And then implying that he should have the racial memories of warfare and strategy because that was so weird I, was like, I am uncomfortable watching this moment right now <laughs> with the implications of this moment i i was glad it went away very quickly i'm like, I'm like i don't want to hear any more about this <laughs> whatever is going on in your mind roddenberry just put it back exactly put it back. but yeah so he's he meets these underground guys which with two or three of them right yeah there's about two or three of them uh they're there to sort of do a slave rebellion but now that they found him they kind of like show him the truth about Terrania. They're they're nothing but slavers, just taking advantage of people. And Dylan kind of gets the truth now. And of course, the next morning, with literally 
no leverage at all. He walks into training high council and says, fuck you guys. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, all right, make him a slave. I'm like, what was your plan? I know. I don't yeah. know what his what, plan was. How did you think that was going to turn out? Like, totally. I, I was so confused because like, there's like cuts to, I guess, a commercial break. And when he come back, he's standing before the high council being like, I won't fix your nuclear plan. I'm like, they're just going to make you. Yeah. They're just gonna... And it, this is this the scene where we first see the stim? The yes. stims, yes. This is where the stims come out. What are the stims, Jordan or Kevin? <laughs> Well, I think maybe you'll have to probably correct me, but the stim seems to be, it's essentially like a scepter, but it has, obviously it has some sort of, uh, creates, you know, pain receptors in people in that you poke it and, oh, it doesn't, it gives you pain and pleasure. That's right. They they have different settings. They got one through eight for levels of pain or pleasure. And they, he goes all the way till seven before he goes down. Yeah. Uh, but then they give him a little jolt of pleasure in mm. kind of an uncomfortable, slightly uncomfortable moment. I thought, yeah. um, I know, I know it's, I, it's a weird thing because. I understand what, okay, we probably don't need to go, but I, I don't understand. I understand the pain. It's like, oh, your nerves are going, but the, the pleasure is just like, you feel really good yeah. or is it, oh, yeah, it's, it's like, like, like iced like, tea on a hot Yeah, exactly. Day. You're just like, oh, I'm really relaxed. It depends what set, setting you have. Right. That's I see. Right. It gets more and more. Yeah. But they established, I, I, I thought established well that it's a serious threat that anybody can be taken down by one of these things. Yeah, and even I, our hero who's really ready to take on the world. You know, I looked them up, the, the stims, and uh, so I found some props online. The things, if you really want to purchase these, you can purchase some stims. Um, and apparently, I thought they were it would just be like one looking thing, but it's more like um, almost like a lightsaber. Like they're they're each different oh, based okay. on what. So like some of them have a weird little like thorns out the sides, and some have because hmm. I guess just the different props, different people carrying them. So I don't know why, but they all look different. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess there's a technology from around his time maybe after he was frozen but i guess they were used to control troops and people in his time is that what they say yeah yeah because he's shocked to find out that it's like we built these or something like yeah. that. Right? yeah the tarians haven't built these they just have a stockpile of them and they've been basically using them to control everyone it's an odd reveal but i guess it makes sense how these people like came to power right because yeah like, you couldn't believe that they would have built those they can't even maintain their nuclear power plant yeah. although again there's so many questions about so, how does this society really work and like well and what there must be other so i guess so there was whatever happened into the world where these little factions have been created ones are underground and the other ones are in terrania and then you got these these women bathing over and uh <laughs> in whatever their world is but the nuclear reactors have all sustains like they were all they're all still there right but you wouldn't, wouldn't there be other forms of power some sort of like they couldn't get a hydro plant going up or in 1970 it was coal <laughs> and nuclear power. oh well i guess that answers that question that's right? true there wouldn't have been any wind you know yeah, no wind no mills or yeah i guess uh is is um the uh big dam the big dam right near las vegas what's yeah, it called right, 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 right. hoover dam hoover, hoover dam. dam yeah is that still around i don't know <laughs> no it, it went it went with the uh went with the nuclear war but yeah, uh, Dylan tips his hand way too soon, and basically High Council sends him to slave school. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah we're going to teach you to be a good slave. Yeah, but of course, uh, Pax has their spies, so they're able to kind of like rescue him. It's funny that you said that these uh, slave women come in threes. Yeah, because uh, well, he's being dragged away. Someone like is like, "I'll trade you three slave women for him." Like, right. Yeah. It, it does seem to be That's the a unit. Currency. That's a yeah. yeah. <laughs> And there's a guy who appears in two scenes here, again, wearing what looks like a ridiculous wig, who, uh, I don't know if you guys are Hogan's Heroes fans, but yeah. it was General Burkhalter, who was always the guy who would show up every three or four episodes that Colonel Klink would be terrified of. He's like the leader of the guys keeping the helpers down, and he still sounds like a Nazi war criminal, yeah. where at one point, I wrote down the line, he says, any helper who finds them will be rewarded 
with a maid and a week of a stim set for pleasure. <laughs> That's a good deal. Yeah, I know. It's a good accent. I had yeah. to listen to it twice going, did he say maid? Because there's women there too. Like, uh, yeah. anyway, whatever. I, I guess I guess some of them are just for cleaning. Yes, exactly. <laughs> to, to tidy up your, 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 your slave, slave hovel. <laughs> But now that Pax has Dylan back, we find out that uh, Harper Smythe has come out to kind of also find Dylan. She's his old nurse. She's back in the story now. And they... As unsexy as ever, am I as right? As unsexy still, as ever. Still not wearing any skin-tight clothes. And does but, it, but we should mention, he, he's already made like at least one pass. What did he say at one point? He, he mentioned like her pancreas that's and her liver. No, no, earlier on oh, he makes Because that she says her. something like, you know, would you comment on the shape of my pancreas or liver? And oh, he's like, right, right. well, I might. Yeah. yeah, he was like, I got a real pancreas poker. Something yeah. terrible like that. <laughs> yeah. He didn't actually say that. But that's a better line. <laughs> but you know that's what Ron Mary wrote. <laughs> he wrote, like, Somebody oh, scratched oh, it. Oh, Gene, Gene, we can't write that. We can't write poker. <laughs> well, you're right though. As soon as she shows back up, even though his life's in danger, he immediately just starts hitting on her. Yeah. Like the second she shows up, but the idea is she's there. They're calling off the slave rebellion to get Dylan back because he's more valuable. But Dylan, now that he's seen all this stuff, he can't leave without trying to help the slaves of Terrania because he's a hero. Right. right? Yeah. Right. It's a weird thing because we've watched a few shows and, and, you know, stuff from the 70s. And, you know, you think about like Beyond Westworld where they really uh, John. What was that guy's name? John Moore. John Moore. They really set him up like the audience just was expected to support this guy because he's a handsome everyday Joe. Mm. And I think they were kind of doing the same thing here. It's like you're just supposed to be invested in him, but he never really does anything that earns our trust or or support. You're just like, oh, he's no. a dude. It's like, why? Well, he's the hero of the show. Is he? He didn't yeah, do totally. anything. Up, up to this point, that's it. if here he finally gets to be a bit of a hero because he insists on the rebellion going forward. And in fact, he has a, one of his great dull line readings here. What is it? <laughs> When they when they tell him this is about to go down, he says the Terranians getting a dose of their own stims. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, it's the Jake Cardigan effect, as you guys yeah. have talked about in previous episodes. That it, he he's the lead because he's the lead, but he's really this like vacuum of space. Like yeah, there's nothing. There's, he doesn't do anything to justify. I like I said, until this moment. And even this, I mean, he actually comes alive a little bit. Like when he says at one point, I don't want to, f- I won't, I, something about not wanting to fight Lurch. He's got the line, I don't want to fight him, trust me, but I will. Like implying I'll, I'll get in a fist fight with him if that's what it takes to right, right. stop you calling off the rebellion. Um, real quick, Jake Cardin effect, TM, TM, TM. Oh, yeah, TM, <laughs> exactly. TM effect, that's right. All across writers' rooms, the yeah. writers' rooms of America on TV shows will be beware of the Jake Cardigan effect. That's yeah. right. We own that now, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but you make you make very good points about him. Like this is kind of where he, I guess, finds his backbone, or at least a purpose. Mm-hmm. And he, as was mentioned earlier, retrofits a radio into some sort of tracking device. Where for the was stint. that radio that he? Yeah, got? where are they getting their AM radios from? And then and then there's the kind of awkward scene where he he used that as a stim tracker, which is going to lead yeah. them to the secret it's just room. It's going to beep when you point it towards stims, right? Which is all right. I thought that was okay. It was that, okay, and it was and, and basic it's enough. Yeah. yeah, and it's going to take them to the storeroom where all the stims are so that they can give, because he points out there's more slaves than there are owners or more helpers than there are Terranians or whatever. So if if he gives enough of them stims, they'll be able to win a fight. Yeah, they'll be able to take over. But, but he gets captured along the way when yes. he starts by Lyra. She, Lyra, uh, say, yeah. finds her along the way. And then he uses this tracker in the most confusing way. <laughs> it's a, it's really unconvincing. I mean, he's pretending it's a, it's a, because she doesn't understand technology from his era. He's pretending that it's a lie detector, mm-hmm. but he's trying to use it 
what he's trying to mack her into saying that <laughs> she loves him yeah right? it was very like, weird and she and she like i guess i, I do there's a, a moment where she's like yeah she's the realization's coming over i do love this i know mustache. it was like it's telling someone something about themselves that they, <laughs> I do they love this mustache. <laughs> but telling someone something about that they don't believe and it's like oh but the computer says that yeah it's like it says you have green skin i don't computer says it's green like i guess it does look a little bit of shade of green it's like well why would she doesn't feel that way why would she have any romantic feelings about him in any way whatsoever other than he's the man at the middle middle of the story it's the jake cardigan effect where it's like because he's the hero she's going to find him sexy and therefore she's going to be seducible yeah so he's like he's like aren't you in love with me beep 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 (laughs) says you are and she's like okay and in fact she gets so lost in thought about this that she turns and gazes out a window long enough for him to hit her in the head with an ashtray yeah he just takes like yeah it's like it looks like uh, like an old like clock you'd have above a tv just clocks her in the back of the head and it's like that's that (laughs) it is funny when he knocks her out it's so gentle yeah it's like smashing someone's head in but very gently tap tap yeah that was a very weird scene and because i guess how the tracker works is you have to point at the stems for it to beep so he kind of has to like maneuver himself yeah. around the room. So she's standing yeah. in the way of Stims. Yeah. yeah, it's very awkward. And to what end? I don't know. Like, it's just so she thinks he's in love. I don't. I didn't yeah. understand what any of that meant. Yeah, well, I guess even though spoiler alert, she's not going to appear to survive the end of the episode. I guess from the little I, little I read online, she was going to be a series regular and have escaped the catastrophe at the end of the episode, and there, right. therefore you could have this romantic. Tension. tension that yeah. carries forward but it's really unjustified at this point in the story oh abs- absolutely but now that he's freed himself from this sudden obstacle he just r- gets back to the packs and they find the hidden stems like it's, it's all very sudden like yeah. he leaves her they find the hidden stems they start handing them out to the slaves who are at first reluctant because they can't quite get out of their docileness but yeah. then the it's, I thought that was a pretty good moment there where you saw that the slaves were kind of terrifying. Once they realized they had this power, you see them really assaulting the... Uh, oh, yeah. They really the, go to town on that one. The yeah. Tyrannians. Yeah, they but really... Let, let me mention a weird point. To this. And this is kind of giving something about the end. But, you know, there's there's a... Through this whole show, there's a theme of, you know, nonviolent sort of thing. And the Pax people are very nonviolent. Mm. And, and you know, later on in the show, you know, they're, they're that's a question with uh, whatever this guy's name is, Mustache. But... Like, you know, we don't want to be violent. We don't want to be violent. But they're all fine with these uh, savage slave people just beating the hell yeah, out of... Yeah, Lurch doesn't have an issue with this at this point. That, he that's what I mean. It's like, I'm like, guys, this seems like a bit of a double standard. So when yeah. you're beating the Teraniums, you have no problem with crushing their heads. I'm sure it's because it was so subtly written that the uh, people put with the slaves have slowly had their morals changed. Oh, I right. see. Yeah, right. yeah. It's a very subtle <laughs> right. distinction. Can we, can we talk for a second since we're in the slave rebellion about that horse stunt? Oh. That was staggering. I wrote down best mounting of a horse i've ever seen <laughs> i mean i simultaneously was so impressed by the stunt people and the actors and horrified on behalf of the horse oh yeah i mean i don't know that much about horses but isn't that how they break their legs i mean oh they i'll try to describe it a group of slaves grabs a horse and pulls it down onto its side like laying flat on the ground while a guy is riding it so well, there's a, a terrain on it one of these thigh revealing bad guys <laughs> is on it and like Luke says it gets pulled to the ground so the horse completely collapses and is not happy about the situation with a guy on its back yeah they're holding the horse down it's on its side Dylan Hunt comes like gets on the horse as if he's riding it laying on the ground so both him and the horse are laying on the ground they let go of the horse and it stands up again with him still on the back and it rides away I'm like I've never seen a horse mounted that way I did a little tiny bit of research and what I found was 
this guy who played the part, which I should have his name, but I don't have Alex in front of me. Alex Cord. Alex Cord yeah. had just done a lot of westerns. Oh, okay. And the one thing he was good at was riding horses. Really? And so they just put horse riding stuff in. Like, and there's another scene where they're riding horses somewhere. Yeah. And the only reason is it just filled up time and he was he could do that. Oh, okay. He was good at riding horses. Well, so they put that stuff I in. I gotta say he, kudos to everybody who made that decision because yeah. I, I'm sure the Humane Society would not let you do that gag nowadays. Oh, yeah. God, but, no. but it really took me aback. Like, you know, you're used to seeing a certain level of stunt performance in these kind of mm-hmm. old TV shows. So, you know, there's going to be a bunch of thrown punches. You know, Lurch does pretty good with a couple of thrown punches. He's clearly been in a lot of fight scenes. But, but when that moment came, I was like, wow. I'm, oh, they don't cut away. Like they pull it's all one shot. It's all, and and it's like, clearly the actor getting on the downed horse and then the standing stunt, up. Yeah. Yeah. It blew Very my impressive. mind. Best, maybe the best moment of the entire show. Yeah. Yeah. I like the sound effect the darts made when they went through. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts. I wrote that. And I was like, "That's a great sound." There, I have, I have some sound effects issues coming up when he gets back to back to the PAX headquarters. But oh, the nice. uh, and but the the uh, the theme or whatever you call it for the show, it's so seventies. Yeah, it remind that reminds me of of Quest Star, where it's just like we're gonna hit you with what decade this is. Yeah. it's not gonna age past a couple of years. It's really really early seventies. They uh, use this rebellion as the PAX. Now that's happening, the PAX members and Dylan kind of escape back to the sub shuttle. They're going to try to go back to PAX. Little confusing staging, but I guess the Terranians and Lara have kind of beat them to the substation. Yeah, it's a little confusing. Well, because there was something about the one they wanted to go to they couldn't get to. So they're going to have to go to another one that we'd already established that Lara knew about. Knew, about. knew that he knew about. So I think there was a lot of narrative filling in the gaps there to say okay that's why they can all end up at this because the story point is he has to be stopped by lyra just as everybody else is about to get on the and he kind of makes yeah he makes a deal with lyra that she'll let the pack spies get away if he stays with her and fixes the nuclear plant and it it was a very weird but i guess it was the only way to get like it was just an odd none of it really clicked for me i was Mm -hmm. like how did we end up here Mm -hmm. but it ends up leading into maybe the biggest problem with this show is I guess we probably went to a commercial break. And when we come back, it's a week later. We're in this Primus PAX security meeting with all the leaders of PAX. And they're just giving us exposition. I don't know if there's time constraints or budget constraints. I got to tell you, it's it totally felt to me like there was a moment where somebody said, guys, we just can't shoot this 15 pages of stuff that happens at the nuclear power plant because it felt there's so much that's missing. And, and usually when that happens... If it's if it's happening for the right reasons, it's because something is going to be revealed to be not what it appears to be, right? Like right. there's something that we want to ellipse over because we don't want you to know what happened. But in this case, no, it all happened as well. It's, it's it was a, supposed to happen. We just didn't see any of it's, it. Yeah, it's a weird thing to happen off camera because I I clocked it the first forty minutes of this. It's almost all the main guy, mustache man, getting to the future and talking about all the like the first forty minutes. There's almost no action or no anything else right. in this show. I'm like, guys, if you you could have just cut that down a little bit and show me the nuclear the actual yeah. part that people like pulling gears down or whatever you do at the nuclear yeah. plant. But we don't see that. Instead, we see a lot of him doing his Kirk Douglas impersonation yeah. for 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, it's a really strange choice. It is very strange. The The council of PAX is sort of talking about how when he gets this nuclear plant or plant running Dylan, who is not part of this conversation, like he's gone, mm-hmm. they're going to not just have power, but apparently there's been a nuclear missile at this power plant the Terranium will not have power to, and that they will likely shoot at Pax. Yeah, why now, would why would that be at a nuclear plant? Am I wrong? This is the first time that thought is introduced, right? Like, yeah, I, brand new. I read a description of the show online that made it sound, which I didn't read until after I watched it. I didn't. I wanted to watch it totally fresh. But when I read this description of it, that was presented as having been a threat earlier in the story. But there's no way it wasn't mentioned until no, then no, that there's a nuclear. Maybe it was an editing thing yeah. or something. 
it is very, very late information. And not only that, as they're talking about it, they're like, when he gets it started, they're going to fire nuke at us. And then someone walks in and is like, the sub shuttle's arriving. Right. And they walk out and Dylan's getting off the sub shuttle. So I'm like... With oh. some fake excitement about how it was going too fast and we have to press, press a special oh, yeah. button to stop for no yeah. reason. <laughs> I forgot about that because it didn't, like, it was just like, it's going too fast. Oh, never mind. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> pressed the blue button. It's fine. Now. Yeah. Okay. But Dylan gets off and I was like, so we're not going to see any of him fixing this nuclear plant. Like, he's back. It's been a week. He fixed it already. And did we even see Lurch and the other guys arrive back? Like, do we know no, where no, they no. went no. to? We have no idea. We don't see them for the rest of the show, right? No, we're, we're just back with Primus. Yeah. Primus. I know where they went. They went up to the the women place. <laughs> there you go. With the bathing? Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, now it says Zorba the Greek in his golf cart yeah. and exposition <laughs> and suddenly telling him, by the way, there was so much that she didn't tell you about how great Pax is. And then we have this weird, mon- not montage yeah. exactly, but him riding around. He gives around, him a tour. And why does he have a golf cart? Those hallways are so narrow. There's a moment where I thought he's got to do a three-point turn to be able to make this. Right. Like, I hope there's no other like pedestrians in that hallway because there's just no way. But yeah, he takes him to where music is being played. I love that. You know, I, that I, note I wrote it. I, I wrote it. Oh, there's classical music playing. Must be a nice place. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, if it was a punk rock band, you'd yeah. know it Oh, I place. can't live here. <laughs> well, that's kind of what Zorba the Greek tells them. He's kind of, he kind of tells them, Dylan, he tells us that they're preserving the best of the old world of Pax. So yeah. not the violence, but like the art, the music. They've even created some new art forms. Mm. Did anyone people, catch, people catch who paint with no, light? No. What were they? Was that one of the, yeah. uh, painting with light, <laughs> gymnastic ballet. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, there's an episode about that in, in Ron Mary's brain <laughs> and new poetry. <laughs> <laughs> just, just new poetry. Yeah. You know, it's, just, it's probably NU. No, it's NU with two umlauts. Um, there you go. Perfect. And then we even get one final reveal to like, so Dylan knows he'll be comfortable there. Is they peek around a corner and there's a couple making out, and he's <laughs> That's right. and Zorba Greek's like, yeah, I know you heard that we're a little asexual and such, but like young people are getting back into lust yeah. in a big way, and we're cool with it. <laughs> yeah. And Dylan's like, sweet. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't grill his mustache for nothing. Yeah, he he loves that lust. Yeah, so Dylan kind of this is I was some of the ways this is explained was so confusing, but they go back to the surface. Zorba the Greek is like, and that's what we're all gonna lose when they shoot that nuclear bomb at us. Uh, Because I guess that's what the point of this was was Dylan to show Dylan what they're about to lose, and Dylan's like, oh no, good news, I also found that nuclear bomb while I was off camera. I set a timer for it to go off and explode. I fixed their problem. And as they're sitting out there, he's like looking at his watch and it doesn't go off on time. And he's quite Mm -hmm. upset about it. Yeah. And there's this moment where they're like, oh, I'm glad you're like, they sort of reveal, oh, we're pacifists. We would never do that. We're glad your nuclear bomb didn't go off. And as they're kind of telling him how glad they are in the distance, a huge nuclear blast <laughs> happens. It's like the timer he set was like yeah, just, just, a little just a little off. Because <laughs> <little off. laughs> yeah. it was so weird. I'm like, he's like, it's going to happen. And then it doesn't. And they're like, oh, good. Then and then it like anyway. 30 seconds later, it does <laughs> yeah. go off. You're like, oh. Yeah. I guess that's, I guess the ideas are introducing <laughs> that they're pacifists. They didn't want this to happen. But the nuclear blast looks great. It does. And there's some interesting ideas in this last few minutes, which I thought, oh, this maybe could have been interesting if they'd gone forward. Like the whole idea that they're kind of horrified that he set it off and they mm-hmm. say did you kill anybody and he said well yeah, a couple of people they're probably like, the guys <laughs> yeah, at the nuclear plant exactly. i don't know guys maybe. at the nuclear plant i mean he clearly means that the wherever the 
bomb was. It was far enough away from Terrania that he didn't kill. He didn't blow up Terrania. He just blew up where this bomb was. And they even say he. they think Lyra survived. They think Lyra survived. But they, also indirectly, if you've cut all their power sources. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're fridges. They're not keeping anything <laughs> cold at this point. Where do they get their ice cream? Yeah, exactly. But the idea that they, are, that they would rather he let them be in jeopardy rather than kill somebody else, you can see where that's going to create some interesting friction going forward. And then there's this... I mean, it, it wants to be beautiful and it's just a little awkward, but a kind of interesting moment where the kids come up with yeah. the mom and they get hit by the shockwave, which again, I thought, you know, there'd be a little nuclear radiation in that shockwave, guys. A just huge so you know. huge blast of wind. But you know what they're going to be? New mutants. <laughs> there you go. But just the idea that he's he's clearly questioning, he's supposed to be questioning what, whether he did the right thing or not when he's looking at these kids and realizing everyone in this society is pacifist. I mean, I could see where that's kind of launching into something maybe interesting for a show. I don't know. Maybe it's just cliched. I mean, I mean, that's one thing I keep coming back to is that this whole the whole notion of this show is kind of just a sci-fi trope, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you guys have ever seen the movie Idiocracy? Yeah. yeah. Idiocracy is like the Mad Magazine version of this movie, right? Where it's like <laughs> a guy who falls asleep now and who wakes up at some point in the future and who doesn't really understand the society he wakes up in, but because of his primitiveness is the only person who can really Help solve them. the problems, yeah. right? So you kind of go, oh, he's going to have to use his violence to solve their problems because they're going to be so committed to nonviolence and he's going to be conflicted by that. I don't know. Is that interesting, or it'll be a trope that they drop after a couple? They kind of, weeks? of do that right at the end here, because they kind of tell him, "If you want to stay here, you really right. need to commit to pacifism." And he feels bad after the nuclear blast, and the kids see it, yeah. and he kind of says, "I'm, I'm gonna try." Right. And, and I think that's it. That maybe if the series continued, his struggle would be like he could solve a problem with violence, but how do you solve it without violence? Right. But, but I have to say, the idea of pacifism is a lovely idea, but for an adventure show. It really, really handcuffs yeah. you because what is future episodes? Every time you just get that little gun with the hypertrophy needles, but, yeah, you know I mean? like, exactly. but, but every time it would just be like, oh, I guess I'll just solve this intellectually. Yeah. Okay, that's a different show though, and I think that's, that's one that of the major called Star Trek. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. But, but but I think one of the the major, but it I mean, very but they still do the two handed hit and stuff in yeah. uh, in Star Trek. But I think Only that's I think that's part shows. of the problem with this show is that it, the idea didn't quite gel, and I think. Maybe Roddenberry or the writer, other writers or whoever involved. I don't know if everyone was on the same page and knew what kind of show they were making. Either the because the tone's kind of a little bit off sometimes, and the actual theme or the overall ideas. I don't know if those come across, or at least I don't know if they come across the one the way that Roddenberry intended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this pretty much wraps up the show, but I do want to make one <laughs> note because it ends kind of in this moment where a nuke's gone off. He feels a little bit bad about it, commits to fascism, and it kind of ends on a morally high note mm. except then harper Smythe walks yes. by <laughs> like right at the last second at which point dylan turns around and is like time for some lust yeah i wrote it down do you see what he said i bet you have a great pancreas yeah that's, that's the, the last, last line of the show yeah and it's so and bad you're so right luke that it, it you know it goes to this kind of maybe interesting place of thinking about well what's this show really going to be about and whatever but then it goes oh the show's about a mustache got you again yeah <laughs> Yeah, that about wraps it up. We've gone over a lot of stuff, but um, I, I think Jordan and I have read about this, and I think you might brought it up a little bit, but we were kind of talking about what an episode might actually look like if the show had gone to series. Yeah, it's a little bit awkward, right? Like that's, uh, you know, I read some of those one-line descriptions that you were referring to, Jordan, about what the episodes were, but it's kind of really hard to imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I've written them down, and I, we can maybe do a brief talk about them, but there were a few episodes that... Company B was about elite soldiers from 1995 who wake up in the future. London Express, they go to London and fight King Charles X. Oh, there would have been some terrible accents in that episode, mm-hmm. really. Uh, Robots Return, 
is about a robot life evolved on a Jupiter moon because they had sent like a satellite there and it comes back looking for God, which is just Star Trek, the motion picture. Yep. And kind of Star Trek five and kind of like it's like yeah. that same idea that he was just like one more time, guys, let's try yeah, it one more time. Totally. Yeah. He'll get it one of these times. Yeah. yeah. P- Poodle shop's the one I think I'm, yeah. I, I like. I mean, that was referred to earlier is there's a segment of the United States where women rule and men are treated as pets. Right. And that would have been a whole episode about that. I, I really liked the there's a part the episode the apartment. Uh, it was about Jack Lemon. He lends his apartment <laughs> to his boss. Um, Dylan doesn't really pop up here. No, but it was an episode called The Apartment, where I guess Dylan gets sent back in time to 1975, oh, where really? he appears as a ghost in a young yeah. woman's house. Really? And I was like, how does and it that says, episode uh, work? No kidding. Yeah, describe it, and then it says a bizarre love affair with a surprise twist ending ensues. That's weird. The, the show just stays in 1975. That's the and they said the, Dylan just wakes the, up basic, the basic plot appears later in an unused Star Trek Phase Two episode, "Tomorrow in the Stars." Wow, another failed Roddenberry thing. Yeah. We're really down on Roddenberry on this, but I think part I know, of, it's, we it's kind be, of earned. I think what you said at the beginning, Jordan, is really valid. That you can never take away what he did. That was great. Yeah. While you could still acknowledge that it took a whole bunch of other people to turn it into the Star Trek that we know, it yeah. definitely was him that got it started. But he is easy to make fun of. His, his the ideas that he had that he couldn't let go of. Then the amount of things about his own internal psyche that he reveals with mm-hmm. domineering women or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. His dreams and goals come across in all of these things. He's yes. very upfront is hearts on his sleeve and yeah. everything he yeah. does. And I, I think though, it's it's one of those things where maybe if it was done now, if he was still alive and he had started his career now, I think he would have been a great person at just pitching an idea, coming up with an idea and then having other people do it. Right. You know, it's just because like the idea of Star Trek's great, but like all those little details he always wanted, you're like, oh, I don't know about yeah, those totally. genes, Whereas right? all the other stuff that other people introduced, you know, yeah. were the things that made it Star Trek that we know yeah. today. But I, that's the thing. It's like, I think there's an idea here. I just don't think it's, fully realized but don't worry because there's two more of them oh we've got lots more roddenberry to get into yeah. I, like there's three more s- pilots mm-hmm. that failed and we haven't even got into his like mid-90s like andromeda we mentioned or oh, what was that earth final, final conflict, conflict. Ooh, yeah yeah, yeah Th- I don't know. those are in our future those one. are in your future is, is earth one Con- a conflict one where they're just alien lawyers yeah, that I really think it is. I've never one? watched it, but yes. That's and I remember, I remember being a kid and like, oh, aliens, I'm in. And then I'm like, they're just lawyers? This is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the right object. I can't wait. Totally. I just want to say that what I hope would happen every week in this show after, after the pilot episode is that every week they find a new civilization who convinces... Dylan Hunt, that they're the good guys. Right. And he does four flip flip flips yeah, yeah. back and forth. And I hope that happens every week. Oh, every, that's, every, a great, every, that's a great premise. Every episode, he sets a nuclear bomb off off screen. <laughs> every episode. <laughs> and he checks his watch. It's his thing. Right. He's like, oh, oh, it's still off. <laughs> I, I like that idea. Yeah. Kills this new civilization every, every week. week. Every week. Every week. And they keep going, Dylan. <laughs> I'm from the 20th century. It's what yeah. we do. Then Harper Smythe walks by. He's like, hey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what other inter- internal organs can I look at? <laughs> Um, well, you guys want to you want to give a rating to this? We usually do it out of I'm sure you know, but out of ten sort of IMDb ratings. Yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought about. It. Let me see. Um, I mean, I enjoyed watching it. It does get a, a bit sloggy in the middle, but mm-hmm. then once it starts to turn into an action movie with the rebellion and everything, I was totally invested again. I'd say I'd give it a solid seven. Wow, that's that's actually pretty high. I think. Yeah, I mean, I I really was entertained, but, uh, partly because of 
knowing Roddenberry's stuff as well as mm. I do, it was just there was always something interesting going on that you could refer to something else. And the fact that again, I, I found it fascinating that it was this hybrid of Star Trek: The Original Series and the '70s. The fact that you you could still feel all that stuff mm-hmm. in a way that you don't. And by the time you get to the next generation, all that original stuff is gone. The original style and the original photography stuff like this had one of the dps of the original star trek and it had the costume designer of the original star trek and matt jeffries the original production designer although he wasn't credited on it when i looked it up online i found he was involved in the sets so it just had that flavor while having the sideburns and and mustache era and they did i don't know what that shot's called but a lot of it you see in the nice series they do that really quick zoom into someone's face yeah yeah there's a lot of those that makes that that makes me laugh every time it's just it's such of a uh of such an era that that they use that shot i do do like that aesthetic a lot too like that's kind of of 70s aesthetic i enjoyed that i found the episode to be light and breezy like Mm -hmm. it was 70 minutes but it just like flowed by it didn't impose any thoughts on me like i kind of could just sit back and enjoy the ride it was an easy watch there's no question i mean Uh, for all the highfalutin ideas that he had i i think it just was like oh yeah okay so guy with a mustache comes in the future and Mm -hmm. and and maybe it's because we're doing this in the middle of a different series i found it a breath of fresh air i I give it a seven too i oh my gosh i had a nice time i had a real nice time Uh, i give it i give it a five Oh, I just, I just, I, don't I, don't think, I think if you empirically look at yeah, it, I just don't as, think it's very good. That's quality show. Then you'd kind of go, yeah, you know, it's not very well written. And he but, certainly is bland, but, but I, enjoyment wise, enjoyment yeah. wise, I had a great time. Yeah. You're yeah, right. It's, I think it, you're totally right, Kevin. Well, listen, if you guys want to do another one and do planet earth, like for next time you need a break, I'm ready to come back anytime. I would oh, be I'd well, really but, interested to see what John Saxon looks like as Dylan. Well, Hunt. it is an interesting thing. Cause I'm curious, you know, obviously reading into a little bit, I think it's going to be pretty much the same plot. But I'm assuming improved, or at least someone decided there's some ideas here. Let's fix this. It even has Lurch in the same role. Is that right? <laughs> apparently, it has a couple of the other oh, yeah, actors we'll have in to different watch roles, right. but it has because apparently, apparently, uh, Major Barrett plays the Zorba the Greek character in that one. Oh. The same kind of security chief, but now it's her. I wonder if what's his face was real steamed. Was his name John Card? What's his name? Cord. John Cord or Alex Cord. Alex Cord. Oh, I can only. He's imagine. just like, oh, did you not see what I did with that horse? And you yeah. don't bring me back. But it's okay. He goes on to be a regular on Airwolf, so he's, <laughs> that's, he's right. Covered that's right. That's right. Airwolf. He's got no I, problems. I thought I'm like I haven't heard the name Airwolf. In I, know, I don't know right? how long. And that sent me down a rabbit hole of googling uh, Jen Michael Vincent, which I highly recommend that you check out sometime. <laughs> where, where he's at nowadays. Well, I think I think that's a date. We got two more yeah. of this po- same pilot that was redone. <laughs> I think we can get the team back together yeah. and try for the other two. Alrighty. So, Kevin, I don't know, uh, we don't normally do a lot of plugs, but is there anything you want to tell our audiences that they might be interested that you're working on? Uh, the only thing I would say at the moment is uh, a series for Netflix called The Umbrella Academy, which Jordan and I both worked on, which will be dropping sometime in 2019, first quarter, maybe February. No, oh, very cool. It. Yeah, it'll be a good show. That's very exciting. So that our, our fans can look out for that. Otherwise, next week, we're going to go back to more Space Above and Beyond. And in the meantime, if you want to email us and talk to us about Genesis 2... You can get us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. George just shaking I, his head. I guarantee we're not going to get an email about Genesis 2. I just guarantee it. Qu- Quester, I was like, hey, maybe someone will be interested. No one's interested in Genesis 2. They'll, they'll wait till we get to whatever Earth 2 or whatever, yeah. the, whatever the other series are. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you can uh, watch that horse stunt when we post it to Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Drag because that's 100% going on there. Uh, and that's about it. Kevin, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Thank guys. you. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rexiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright.
You know one thing I didn't mention, and I, I had a note here, I put, Pax Elder sounds like a diapers for seniors. <laughs>